All right, tonight we'll be talking about roots. And I know you, you, not the TV show or nothing like that. <laughs> you know, I was, I'm not a good person with titles. So if you, you, titles are always just, you know. I was thinking, are your roots showing <laughs> for the ladies? <laughs> you know, because I know y'all watch that stuff, you know. Uh, but anyway, we're talking about roots. And what I mean by that, we're going to talk about offense and bitterness. And I want to talk about it in confines to in the church, you know. Because we think like they, they deal with offense and bitterness out there, but not in the church. I mean, this is the, this is the, the, the kingdom of God. But <laughs> believe it or not, offense and bitterness is one of the most dangerous things that can, be, that can plague a Christian in the church. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that we're living in the last days. Amen? Amen. We can see the news. We see offense in every realm from politics to racism to religion. And Jesus told us that that would be one of the key factors that would trigger his return. Okay. (laughs) Let's open up with prayer first. Father, we just come before you, Lord. I ask right now in the name of your son, Jesus, Lord, that you would anoint me to speak your word. God, that you would anoint me to teach with clarity and precision, Father, Lord. I'm asking right now that you would anoint everyone here to hear and to receive. Father, I ask that people would come to know you in a more mighty, in, in, in a mightier way, God. Father, they would have just a little bit more of you tonight than they had coming into the service. God, we honor you. I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to rest upon me, to teach, and to rest upon these to receive. God, we honor you and we thank you for your holy word, and it's in Jesus' Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. And you may be thinking, what's the big deal about offense and bitterness, right? I mean, yeah, we get mad at people. We get frustrated with people. What's the big deal? Can that, is that really such a big deal? Well, when you look at Matthew 24, I want to read something to you. And we've talked, in, you know, I like to teach on prophecy and talk about that stuff. So this is a verse that we've talked about before. But I want to look at it a little bit different tonight. And this message is kind of like a two-part message, I guess you can say. You're going to see some things in one part of the message and something else in a second part of the message. And I'm really excited to to teach on this. Uh, Matthew 24, 4 through 14, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not yet troubled. For those things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. That's ethnic group versus ethnic group. That's what it means in the Greek. Okay? And it says, in kingdom against kingdom. That's basilica. That's religion. That's, that's we see that today. Uh, secular humanism is religion, believe it or not. You know, even atheists have their own religion. If you have a group of beliefs, that's what you adhere to so really I mean you can say it that's your belief system okay so when you think about it nation against nation kingdom against kingdom and it says there will be famines pestilence earthquakes in diverse places I don't know if you saw that Italy just had an earthquake and then Burma had one and this thing these earthquakes have been going on in rapid form in fact uh, the history channel and national geographic they say it seems as if we're in a season of earthquakes if that's even possible 
So we could see that Jesus is saying this is all happening at the times of, in the time of the end. And it says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. It says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. Then it says, and many will be offended. Okay. You, you see that. <laughs> Everybody's offended. Okay, I'm getting I have to move my soapbox. <laughs> it says, and many, many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. There will be many false prophets that will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We can see lawlessness right now. Lawlessness is saying, I don't care about the law. I'm going to do what I want to do. We see that more and more. And it says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, the gospel is right now being preached in every nation on the face of the earth through television. There are many ministries that are on TV that go into every nation on the face of the earth. So we can see that that is happening. It says, and then the end will come. Now, we've dealt with with this in the past. But when you look at the back half of that verse, you can see that there are different ways to view it. Okay, and I'm going to show you what I I mean. When you look at verse 13, and the one who endures to the end shall be saved, there's different ways you can look at it. There are some that believe in, it's a a preterist theory. They believe that all of that stuff, the, the return of the Lord and all that stuff happened already. They believe that we're living in the millennial kingdom right now and that Satan is bound, which I don't understand that at all. The Bible says that, that uh, a lion shall lay down with the lamb during the millennial kingdom. If you think we're in the millennial kingdom, take a lion, put him in the cage with the lamb, and see if they lay down together. <laughs> Obviously, we know that Satan is on the prowl. He's on the loose. He's amping up his game. And the church is not a, it's not a time for us to go silent. It's not a time to put our lights down. It's a time to take our lights and shine them even brighter and expose darkness that is all around us by the love of Jesus. I'm not talking about being judgmental and calling out sin and casting stones. I'm talking about loving people. I'm talking about showing them. I'm talking about walking with them. If, if you want to call out a sin in somebody's life, you need to be willing to walk with them out of that. We, we'll stay quiet when <laughs> I don't feel like getting in that. I like calling it out, but I don't want to walk with them through it. I mean, that, what am I going to do with that? But that's what we're called to do. We're called to love people. They will know us by the love we have for one another. So, so I said all that to say, some believe that that happened in 70 AD when the temple was ransacked and Jesus said that one stone would not be left upon another. So obviously I don't subscribe to that. I don't think that's what the Bible says. Then point number two, it says the believer must remain faithful their whole life without falling away and then they will make it. Now, obviously that's true. You, it, it's not really how you start. It's how you end. You know, you, you follow Christ, you believe in Christ, you walk with Christ all the days of your life. So that's a very good spiritual principle. Then it says, through, you know, through earthquakes, famines, pestilence. So if you take the beginning of the verse, we can see that that's a possibility. But you almost have to picture like people crawling out of rubble and saying, oh, I still believe in God. 
you know, you have to kind of look at it. That could be a factor, but some people also believe mid-trib means they go through the tribulation, and if you endure all that stuff, then you will be saved. That's a little bit, uh. But there is something that I have seen that I think is very, very tangible. You know, it's more difficult to be destroyed from the inside than the outside. You see, if an earthquake happened and it it sucked me into the ground, I would die and go to heaven because my faith is in Christ. It would hurt, obviously. Uh, But inside of an individual is where the work can take place to break you down spiritually. Now, if you think about it, look at the floods that we've just had. What did that do? It brought a lot of the best of people out. It opened up the the ears and eyes for the gospel to go forth, right? We've seen that. So that is a major, major thing that happened that allowed people, because you see, as things go bad, if we or the, we the church are smart, we will be in those moments to lift, a, to, to put, put a hand out to raise people up. Now, if you think about this, this is where I want to go with it. Verbal assaults. You know, we look at children. You know, you have the ability to destroy a child by the things that you tell them, that you speak on them. You, you tell them you're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. That many times will do more damage than falling and breaking an arm or, or some type of physical uh, trauma that would happen to someone. Because what you're doing is you're shaping that individual and you're shaping the way that they think and view the world. You, they, they're, you're, think about it. If they think mommy and daddy are like this, what are they going to think about the person on the street or the, or the aunt or the uncle? So you have, an, you have the ability to raise them up, to build them up, or simply destroy them from the beginning. Same thing in, in church. You know, church is supposed to be the absolute safest place on the face of the earth. And it's supposed to have the godliest people. So when you get hurt in church, where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? So in Matthew 24, it says, And many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You see that people are saying, what's the use? What's happening, you're seeing, you're hearing the cement around their heart hardening blow by blow by blow. In this room tonight, there is no reason why this church should not be full. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the very love of God. That is what everybody on this earth is looking for. There are many people that you know that do not come to church Because they've been offended. They heard a message. They saw something. They say, oh, that church just wants your money. Right? I've seen, I've grew up with people that their parents raised them in church. And they are professing atheists because of religious, pharisaical parenting. 
And it totally destroyed them, and they want nothing to do with God or the gospel. Now, there is Christian parenting. There is loving parenting. But you cannot be a Pharisee to your child and expect them to want to come to the house of God if they're getting beat up with the Bible at home. I'm, I'm talking from, from people that I, I really know. And, and I'm, I'm serious tonight. There is a very fine line at raising your child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now, if you think about this, when you get offended, it, ha- it just has a way. Listen, I've been in church hurt. I've been through that. And I remember saying, I, if them people going to heaven, hell ain't going to be that bad. I said that. I used to pray, God, how can I love church, love you and your people? It was like an oxymoron for me. But then I became a Christian, and I realized how hard it is to live for Christ. See, it's easy when you're lost, and you're like, oh, they, they, they messed up. They said something. Oh, I seen this person. They said a curse word. No, think about it. We, 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 become, we become lost Pharisees. We're trying to find a reason why not to serve God. See, the gospel don't work. Look, he, he said something that he shouldn't have. But when you become a Christian, you realize how difficult it is to live your life for Christ. But it also should give you a greater compassion to know that, man, my brother on the side, I'm not going to judge him because I'm struggling with something. I'm dealing with something. Let me help him. And maybe by helping him, the love of Christ will be shed on me and I will be able to walk in victory. Listen, many, many will throw out. Uh, you know, well, let me back up. The word offended is scandal. That's where we get the word scandal. Scandaline is to trap shut. It's like putting bait out and an animal comes and sniffs around and all of a sudden it takes the bait and, the, and it closes on them. And that's what Satan does. See, right now, Satan is putting out all this political rhetoric. He's putting all these things out and people are biting on it. And they're saying things, they're taking stances on situation, and what it's doing is splitting people. And I, and, I, and I know that there's a way to deal with it. There's a right way to deal with it. But there's also a wrong way to deal with it. Now, think about this. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5, through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are, are Christ's have crucified the flesh with p- p- passions and desires. Now, think about this. A pa- you can tell it's a fleshly passion when your desire is to be right at all costs. I will destroy you with the Bible, with with Facebook, with whatever, just to get my point across. That is a wrong process and thought to have. Listen, when you start engaging in these discussions and arguments and all these things, is the, the fruit of the Spirit in your life at that moment? Are you dealing with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, suffering, goodness? No, your, your veins are coming out in your neck. You're red as Satan himself. I don't know that he's red. I just, you know, I'm just saying the, the pitchfork deal. Uh, so you got to be careful what is a trap and what is information that is needed. You see, when you, you could look at it by the spirit in which it comes. Listen, 
when you go to witness, I can instantly tell if somebody is wanting to know the gospel or they're wanting to get in a religious debate, and I will cut it off immediately. Because what it does is it helps you. It helps you keep your composure. You know, you have to understand when you're looking at a situation, is their mind already made up? And are they trying to stoke your fire? And that's how you view these situations. And especially becoming a keyboard warrior is absolutely foolish. Like Pastor Brandon said a while back, I've never seen someone say, oh, that's a good point. I'm going to change my view because of this comment. So the point is, I know there's many things out there, but is the risk of being right going to destroy someone, split the church down the middle, or destroy somebody's faith in God? That's what you, we need to look at. Everything that we do, will it hinder the kingdom of God or will it make me look good? Because a lot of times that's the source, which is pride. 2 Timothy 2.23, it says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Listen to this. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So really when you get into these frivolous discussion and arguments, you're carrying out Satan's will is what the scripture is saying. I know. Now, is there healthy discussion? Absolutely. I always am like, hey, so tell me about this. I, what do you think? I, what's the big deal about this? And I will, but you can tell the spirit in which the person comes, comes to you or you go to them. And if you're going there with a qualsome spirit, I can assure you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, goodness, and all that will not be upon you. Amen. So you, we got to check our hearts. Check the, what is, why do I want to know this? Do I want to make an informed decision or do I want to stir the pot? We don't need stir the pot Christians. Amen. Come on. I'm talking to me too. <laughs> Listen. When you, when you come up with a message, you, it deals with you first. And then you're like, God, I can't say this. This is exactly what I'm thinking. And he's like, I know. Get healed of it and then and talk to other people about it. <laughs> now listen, look, look at marriage. Marriage, okay? And listen, don't be nudging your husband or your wife and all that. <laughs> listen, Satan will entice fleshly appetites and desires there too. He will try to cause discord in your marriage. And you know what he does? He'll bring some, some lady by or some man at the cooler who conveniently understands exactly how you feel. You know, I, I heard it said, and I, and I really kind of agree with that, we can't get mad at our husband's or wife's choices because you are one of them. You're one of their choices. I'm one of my wife's choices. So when I'm like, well, you want to pick that? Okay, well, she did pick me. <laughs> so maybe it ain't so bad. But listen, I, heard, I was listening to someone speak, and he said something that 
I've, I've often heard in, in marriage counseling, and, I, and I, I really think this is true. What Satan will do, when a, when a d- division comes up, an argument comes up, Satan will come at, when you storm off, right? You storm off, you slam the door, and Satan says, you know what? You married the wrong person anyway. That's one of the biggest lies that Satan will tell you. Because this is why he does that. It deflates your desire to fight for your marriage. You say, what's the use? What's the point? And then at that point, he'll bring another situation. He'll start saying, remember what it was like when you were single? Remember this? Remember that? And then next thing you know, you have somebody in marriage trying to back out, walk away, and Satan is trying to deceive you. When you come, when you get together and you fuss or whatever it is that you do, intense moment of fellowship When you have those, intense moment of fellowship, come together. Listen, you decided to come together in the covenant of marriage. So stick it out. Ask God to change you first. We, God, this woman you gave me, this, this, you know, this man you gave me, that's what we do. No. God, help me to be the person that you created me to be and, and, and serve my wife or serve my husband or, or, or whatever it is that we're going through in any relationship, in a friendship. God, help me be the, the type of friend that I want to receive. Sorry. I'm s- <laughs> okay, let's get to the point of offense. Now. Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Now, notice it says a brother, a fellow believer. This is where it gets devastating because, like I said, this is supposed to be the the most gracious place on the face of the earth with the most gracious people that have been redeemed and we're supposed to be walking like Jesus. That's why it's so important that we come together as the body of Christ within, within the church. Because this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to disrupt you. He wants to fire you up. He wants you to storm out the doors. He wants you, he wants you to go back to the vice that had you in bondage. Then he wants to tell you, oh, you fell, you messed up, you started drinking again. Nobody at the church will understand. They're going to condemn you and crucify you. Then he puts you on an island of hard-hearted hopelessness. And then you begin to buy into the lies that it's never going to get any better. Then he begins to turn your thought processes against your brothers and sisters. And they are now the enemy. They shrink into silence, into a back room somewhere. And they, they begin to say, nobody cares. God doesn't love me. God doesn't want me. The church doesn't want me. And it becomes this bitter root that begins to spring up. Listen, I've seen solid people that love God detach and become Lone Ranger, John Wayne Christians out there doing their own thing, don't want to darken the, the door of a church. And I'm here to tell you, I have never ran into an on-fire John Wayne Lone Ranger. If you start to talk to them, you will see bitterness start to come out. If you have a conversation, because that's evidence that they're sitting in the back saying, them people are stupid, they're crazy, I don't want to have nothing to do with them, and they think it's just me and Jesus. Meanwhile, they're dealing with bitterness and struggling 
to even love God because God would tell them, you need to get around your brothers and sisters. Think of the story of John the Baptist. He was the man. He was saying, there's the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet he goes to jail and he gets offended because Jesus does not release him from, from prison. This is a perfect example of someone who is on fire, literally blazing the trail for Christ, who gets in a cell and begins to wonder. I mean, God spoke and they heard, and then he saw the spirit descending as a dove, and he's in, in prison saying, is this the one or should we look for another? And Jesus said, Blessed are you who is not offended by me. This is a perfect example that anybody could fall into this. We get offended with people and we dare not admit we get offended with God. But we do it all the time. We don't come out and say I'm mad at God because we're afraid of a lightning bolt. But God knows how you feel. God knows what's going on in the inside. God knows if you're unhappy. Listen, God does nothing wrong to no one at any time ever. It's how we view things. We may not like the way God is doing something, but God gives us the grace to mosey on around until we see it differently. But God will not say, well, throw your fit, I'm gone. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now listen, Jesus said... I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Now, John didn't say this. It'd be, you know, if John said, I'm the greatest and I'm in prison. Jesus said this. So it can happen to anyone. Offense can come. Well, we got to move. <laughs> Listen, Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Listen to this. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, root here is talking about a tree. Now, we use this picture, and we'll get to it later, but look how deep the roots can go. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you know if you have a root of bitterness that is springing up? Does everybody have a list there's, you could use a bad adjective. You know, somebody's on your list. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm in church and we're talking about the list. <laughs> but who's on your list? That's, that's, that's the question. That's evidence that that scripture is talking about us. Now listen. How do you know if somebody's on your list? That person can do nothing right. You have a fixed thought process. You know, if this person was on fire, what? If this person was on fire and you had water in a Yeti cup and you poured it on the fire to help you, in your mind, you would say, you just want to put something else in your Yeti. You weren't trying to put my fire out. <laughs> yeah, man, I can't believe it. Husbands and wives, look up here. Don't look at each other. <laughs> but here's the thing. That root of bitterness will begin to leak and begin to defile many, the Bible says. That is the evidence that a root of bitterness is springing up. Listen, I, I heard it said last week by a pastor, so it's not mine, 
but he said something that was very powerful. He said, offense is an event, but offended is a decision. That means offense will happen, but if you choose to take it in, that's where being offended happens. I'll give you an example. I live on, on a, on a, in a house. I have a neighbor, and then my mom lives next to the neighbor. When I was a kid, I'd run in the backfield, and we'd play, and they'd always have these trees that are along the fence. And you could just go up to them and snip them, you know, if you wanted to, just snip them off. But I'd never did that. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about that. Well, now there's this giant water oak that is towering over both of our houses. The neighbor really doesn't even want the tree. In fact, that tree was growing before that neighbor even moved there. And there's other chicken trees that have grown up since, and they're getting a little thicker, but they're wrapped in the fence. You see, when, a, when, a, when it starts to grow, it can knock down your fence. It can knock down what's keeping things out. So if you think about that root of bitterness begins to grow, it may start small. A fence starts small. Bitterness doesn't happen immediately. It comes and eventually it, it grows. And then these roots begin to grow and go, goes into your yard or knock down that fence because eventually it will begin to spread. Now this is how it looks in us. We, we develop an attitude about somebody and then we start spewing stuff and then it defiles others and then you got a friend that that hears that and they start fighting the battle harder than you they looking at that person like I can't believe you are garbage and you trying to you trying to bring it before the Lord Lord I'm sorry I don't want to be mad at this person and your friend walks in like man what you doing oh I'm just praying that the Lord will deliver me from this bitterness and they're like, man, you, you didn't do anything wrong. And they start fighting, right? They start fighting that, that, that bitterness harder than you. You're trying to let it go. But that's what happens when it springs up and begins to defile. Now think about this. This is another thing Satan uses in offense. Somebody offended you. They don't know they offended you. They walking around carefree and you walking around mad. And this is how you, you look at it, like. I can't believe they offended me, and they're happy. They're not bothered about anything. But they don't know they offended, so Satan comes and says, man, he knows he offended you. She knows she offended you. They just don't care because life's going good, but they they don't like you. They mad at you. And then you start to see Satan is a liar and the father of lies. But here's the thing. You got a root of bitterness here. A root of bitterness here, a root of bitterness here, here, here. I mean, it's not just one root. It begins to, many things begin to grow. Then it starts to produce this rotten fruit in your life. Now, listen to this. It says, I, I, I want to stop real, real quick and say about children once again. Children will begin to hear what you say about, say, your aunt, your sister, your, your brother. They're hearing a conversation, you ragging them. Now, all of a sudden, Junior don't like ain't so-and-so because they heard something that you and, and Dad said, right? Or they hear, can you believe that church over there? Can you believe th- th- this happened and this person said that? Can you believe this? And next thing you know, 
little Johnny is like, oh, I don't want to go to church. And now they begin to have a distaste for church. But here's the thing. You get healed. You go to Encounter or you go to a life group and, and they begin to teach and you, you release it before God. But little Johnny don't want to have anything to do with church because it defiled him. And he thinks that church is a place of hurt because mom and daddy got hurt. But you got delivered. Now you got a little small tree that's growing. And we're going to get mad if we can't get him in the church. All right. I want to read something to you in Luke 17, 1 through 6. And we're going to go a little faster here. Then he said to the disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Jesus said, you're going to get offended. It's going to happen. But woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him to have a millstone around his neck and be thrown into the sea than offend one of these little ones. It means like a Christian or a new Christian. It doesn't necessarily mean children. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Uh, some of y'all are like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It says, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Huh. And then, then the apostles said this, Lord, increase our faith. See, we read that. We don't read it in context. We like, I want to pray for this person to get healed. We quote this scripture, but they're saying, so wait, we got to seven times in a day? God, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to baptize me with grace and mercy and fire and water and oil. <laughs> but it says, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted into the sea. Now, the King James says sycamine tree. Now, that's, it's very interesting when you get here. Listen, I was, I was reading behind an author that I like, and, man, he just began to unpack this. And I just want to share with you how this spoke to me because I'm not this smart, okay? So I just want to share this with you, and I really think you'll get to see what Jesus is talking about. In verse 3, it says, if your brother sins against you, which this verse is saying to violate, cross the line in word or deed. It says rebuke him. Now, you're like, yes, yeah, see, we can, we can say stuff. We can be mean. No. <laughs> it's for my lovers of confrontation. You don't speak harshly. It's to speak directly and honorably and confront the manner with a spirit of humility. See, you can't judge your spirituality if you can pray in King James English. Some of y'all know what that means. <laughs> or you got a big King James study Bible, family Bible. That's not spirituality. Being able to deal with things in a consistent manner without cutting people but still dealing with the issues is a measure of spiritual maturity. Now listen, our responsibility is to overlook when possible. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it, it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 17, 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. And I want to read one more verse in this train of thought. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember. Everybody say remember. 
Say it again. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, listen, some things in life are hard to overlook, right? Amen. There should be a thousand amens. <laughs> now, listen, how do you deal with offense? Number one, pray about it. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, first off, I would pray and ask God, God, is this something I need to make allowance for? Because here's the thing. You got people that just have bad days, right? They, it's uncharacteristic of this individual to offend you, right? Sometimes we just need to learn to let things go, not micromanage everybody's fault and, and, and steward hurt instead of stewarding grace, we nurture hurt. Like, oh, can you believe they said this? And then I had a bad day. I didn't even eat breakfast. People don't care about me. So you see, so we pray about it and we ask God, God, is this something that I should bring to their attention? Or is it something I should just let, let go? Secondly, ask the Lord and receive healing from the offense. This is what we mean when we say keep your heart right. See, you need to have wisdom on how to deal with it, when to deal with it, and wait for the opportunity to deal with it. Listen, when, when you overlook something, don't be surprised if God moves on their heart and they come and apologize and you're like, wow, I overlooked it and they came and made it right. That's releasing them. Now listen, we should also be trusting that Jesus is working behind the scenes on behalf of that situation. Because Jesus don't want y'all to be mad at each other. Jesus wants you to be restored. Now also, is this person just, just had a bad day? Are you going to take all the good things about this person and just totally wipe it away and say, this is an offender. This person offended me. That's it. I'm taking this and this is, I mean, you've been friends for 30 years. They offended you one time. Maybe ran out of barbecue and invited you or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and all of a sudden, oh, this person, they meant to do that. They knew I was coming. They knew, they knew I was going to be there. I pulled up. There was no parking space. I've been parking right here ever since we've been friends. But now you're starting to hang out with this new guy at work, and you let him park there. And then I walked in, and nobody told me hi. Every time we walk in, we got our secret handshake. He didn't even do that. Number two, I like those NBA handshakes. We're going to have to learn some of them. <laughs> All right. Number two, I'm sorry. Let's go. Number two, always approach God with the posture of knowing we offend him daily. Now, that will humble you right there. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, listen, when we know that we've offended God, it's easier to give grace to someone. Instantly, it softens our heart. Remember, people are not your enemy, and we're on the same team. I mean, that's, that's just a fact. And also, remember that you and I offend people. How, do you, how would you like to be confronted? Do you like just swords drawn, just... <laughs> you pick their leg up and beat them with it? Or... Do you desire 
to be treated with kindness, be confronted in love, in gentleness, in mercy. That's how I'd like to do it. Or do you, listen, if you want to go for the jugular, keep the mouth shut. Because we need to realize that if that was the case, we should have bled out a long time ago, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure I'm talking to the right people. Now, forgiveness means to dismiss or to release. Cancel a debt like Jesus did, right? Or like frozen, let it go. Now, okay, remember this, it says, and if they repent, this is the point that we really take issue with. Oh, yeah. Jesus brings up the point how often, Luke 17, 4, even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. So your boy, your girl pops off, gets mad. You say, okay, I forgive you, man. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Then an hour later comes, they pop off again. You've probably seen this more in marriage, right? Well, if you're sorry, why do you keep doing it? Nobody's, let me see some man. Don't leave me on the island here, okay. <laughs> why do you keep doing it? Maybe it's a character problem. See, you can't say that because they did it again that they didn't mean they were sorry. Maybe that's something that they're walking with. So let me bring it back to us. Do you ask God to forgive you and go do it again? Well, seriously. How many times do we want to be forgiven for the same thing? How many of you done the same sin 50 times? Okay, all right. That's, if you put that on relational level, 50 times, I mean, 49, yes. 50, you're out. But with God, we want that endless supply of grace to continually coming. That's the importance of looking inwardly, the log spec principle. When we start to see that we offend people, that we offend God, that we sin after we've asked God to forgive us 10 minutes later. How many of you have done that? <laughs> I'm just meddling now. I'm sorry. Luke 17, 5, and the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, that should be a declaration right there. Lord, I, man, you saw what this person did, God. Increase my faith because I know what I have done. Now, number four, I want to give you an agricultural lesson that really changed my life. I really want to tell you this. Luke 17, 6. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say to the sycamine tree, be plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. Now, Jesus uses the word sycamine. Now, there are sycamine trees, and there are mulberry trees. Sycamine trees produce bitter fruit. They look like mulberry trees, and mulberry trees produce good fruit, sugary fruit, okay? So, Jesus is saying a sycamine tree can be uprooted with mustard seed faith. Now, we... This is why I love Jesus in the Bible. Everything that Jesus says means something. So you should never get tired of reading the Bible. When he heals blinded eyes, he's teaching a spiritual principle that you can see the kingdom of God. When he heals the crippled, he's showing that you can walk with his power. So he's always showing, he's always showing you a spiritual principle with a physical healing. Now here's the thing about a sycamine tree. 
In the Middle East, it was used, it was the best wood to use to build caskets. It, it, it was used to build caskets. Now, unforgiveness will kill you physically, dry you up spiritually. It will bury you emotionally. Bitterness will harden your heart. Your stress level will go up, and it can kill you. It grew quickly, which helped it to be easy accessible because it took large amounts of wood to make them. It doesn't take long for offense to grow into bitterness. And take over your whole being. Control your thoughts. Control what you do. Your actions. Everything. A sycamine tree grew all over the Middle East. Unforgiveness or bitterness can grow in any person, anywhere, in any culture. It grew in the driest conditions. Bitterness will grow in the driest, spiritually dry environment that there is. When you don't have the rivers of life flowing, joy, peace, patience, all of the, the, the gifts of the, I mean, the, 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 the fruit of the spirits, spirit, okay. And it's very durable. That means bitterness will last as long as you last. So, I mean, some of y'all know some people that have been mad a long time. Okay, yeah, right. I just want to make sure that's just not new, I've been new Iberia. <laughs> And these trees have the deepest roots. They will grow deeper than the tree will grow higher, stifling the growth of a tree. It can stop your growth. The tree is hard to kill. You can cut the tree at the bottom, go build a little place to have coffee, a little happy place. Sooner or later, that tree will bust up your happy place and it will continue to grow again. It'll also grow in your neighbor's yard. Mm -hmm. It'll just travel and start picking up their stuff, their house. This is, Jesus used the sycamine tree for a reason. Now listen to this. It's also the thing that poor people ate. They had to eat on a sycamine tree and it was bitter so they would eat it and chew it. And then, you know, they'd eat it just like when you contemplate on that bitterness and you, you dwell on it. Dwell on it. It gives you that sour look, that sour feel. But the spiritually or the rich people were eating the good mulberry. They looked alike, but it produced different fruit. Now, why, why is that an a, a, a issue? Listen, wasp, we all hate wasps, right? You don't have no pet wasps. Okay. <laughs> but seriously, a wasp will stink. That's, they, a wasp pollinates uh, sycamine trees. They pollinate, they stick their stinger right into the heart of that fruit and makes it bitter. What has stung you and made you bitter? Is it a person? Is it an unanswered prayer? Come on, I'm being serious tonight. We got to get this stuff out of our life. What is Satan using to pollinate your spiritual fruit? You can, you can bring that list to your mind and say it could be so-and-so. It could be situation A, circumstance B. But what is Satan using to, 
to make your fruit sour, to make a custom-made casket for you, to finally bury you and put, and put the stake in the ground and kill you spiritually. He that endures to the end will be saved. See, when you understand offense, you see the seriousness of it. That it There's many people that, I'm telling you, will not come back to church. They, they, they want nothing to do with God. And it's because of offense. Now listen, how do you release this? Right? That's, that's what we need to get. How do we release this? He says if you have faith of a mustard seed. Mustard seed is, is, is it's, it's a pure. Because we all say, think it's size. The mustard seed, the size of a mustard seed. That's not what it is. It's pure. Listen, if you have a problem with bugs eating corn, eating your corn, what scientists will do is they'll, high, they'll make hybrid vegetables and take corn and, and, and inject it with a virus of a cucumber to keep the bugs off. And so that's how they, they do. It's called hybrid, vege, high, it's making hybrid vegetation. But mustard seeds can be anything other than a mustard seed. It cannot have a virus. It grows in the most contaminated ground. It can grow where things should be choked out. What is that telling us? It's pure. See, the thing about it is the kingdom of God is pure. It can't become something else. It can't, it can't be injected with the world. It is what it is. It stands firm. It will not change. It is the power of God. It's the place where he dwells. And you and I get to function in that kingdom. But here's the thing. Mustard seed faith tells me that when I start to want to get mad and offended or whatever, I keep the knowledge. Remember, remember that Christ has given me the kingdom. That he has given me the purity of being forgiven, of walking in righteousness. So that mustard seed faith, when you remember that, you can pluck that tree up by the roots. And then it says, and be cast into the sea. And when it's cast into the sea, just like our sins are, remember it says in Micah that God will cast our sins into the sea. So when you understand what Jesus was saying, he's given us an agriculture lesson, but he's showing the disciples that bitterness will destroy you. Yeah, you, you can still go to, go to heaven. You'd just be a miserable Christian, right? Because it's by righteousness, it's faith in Christ. That's it. That alone is what saves you. But you can be a miserable Christian, and eventually it can destroy you if you let it. Can we stand? I'm cutting some things out. I'm sorry. It's going to be a, a little while before I get up here again. <laughs> so here. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. So let me ask you a question. Who's on your list? Let's take the list and let's just bring it to the throne and say, God, I don't want this list. I don't want this bitterness you ever thought like, man, God hasn't answered any prayers in forever. I feel like I'm drying up. Maybe God's saying, give me the list. Look, Kelly, up here, eternity lasts forever. You live 50, 60, 70 years. I can wait that out. God's not going to break his word and say, okay, well, let me, you can keep your list in here. Come on, our, our Christianity needs to be about, God, if, is this hindering me? 
God, is this stifling me? God, is this hindering the kingdom? Let, let me bring it before you. We as the church need to live kingdom-minded. The kingdom of God is on the forefront. Yes, we go to work, but our agenda is the kingdom of God. Yes, we, our kids go to school, but the agenda is the kingdom of God. Yes, we go out to eat on Friday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, however. <laughs> A lot of people don't cook much no more, but... <laughs> But the, it's the kingdom of God. Everything that we do, every post, is this going to hinder the kingdom of God? If I go this place, is it going to hurt the kingdom of God? Because some people are just going anyway and they say, well, I'm going to just deal with the kingdom of God on Sunday or Wednesday. Uh-uh. We got to step it up. If we want the light to shine, we got to get out of the darkness and full speed ahead. So I just want to ask you right now, you may say, I don't know Jesus, but I can tell you what, these roots are so deep, I'm so sour, I need to be forgiven and changed. Let me see your hand. If that would be you tonight, and you say, I do not know Jesus as Lord, amen, I see you. I don't know Jesus as Lord, and I need to be forgiven of my sins. Come on, I want you to pray with me. If you've raised your hand, I want you to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, everyone. I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. I ask you to wash me clean of all sin. I receive the gift of pardon. I walk away saved by the blood of Jesus. I confess that Jesus is Lord and that Christ was raised from the dead. I am saved. I am born again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, I just want to pray a simple prayer with you. If you can say, Kelly, I'm dealing with bitterness, I want you to be bold and raise your hand. Let the kingdom of God, let heaven see. Praise God, yes. Confront it. It don't matter how small it is, how big it is. God can forgive it, cast it away. You just make a choice. I'm going to lay this at the throne of God, and I'm going to walk away without bitterness. Father, we just thank you tonight. God, I, I, I stand in agreement with each person that has their hand raised. God, I thank you that you, you, have, you have taken that bitterness from them as they've acknowledged it before you. And God, that you are giving them the sweetness of your fruit and your power and your grace. God, I thank you right now that they are walking away from this service tonight changed by the power of the living God. Lord, I ask that you would give them the ability to go to those people that, that, have, that they have offended or they have been offended by and reach out with the love of Christ. And God, I'm asking that restoration would take place. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. Amen. And amen. I also pray that you would be healed, right? Be healed right now in Jesus' name of bitterness, we chop those roots down. We pluck them up and cast them into the sea by faith. God, I thank you right now. Your word says when two agree touching anything on earth, it'll be done by you in heaven. God, we honor you. We thank you for honoring your word. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen.